Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode about a ghost town. We love a ghost town. We love a ghost town. And today we're going to be talking about one in Arizona called Jerome. And it used to be a mining town. And I've been there a few times. And it is a very, very spooky place. Just all around, it's very spooky. Today, we are going to focus on two of the spookiest, I'd say, places within the town. And a lot of ghost hunters have visited Jerome because it is a pretty big hotspot for the paranormal. Jerome is a pretty old place. And it used to be a mining town. And its first mining claims were filed in 1876, so pretty old. The first place we're going to talk about today is now called the Jerome Grand Hotel. The hotel itself used to be the United Verde Hospital. So a lot of people believe that that might be why it's so haunted is because so many people die in hospitals. Reasonable. Reasonable, yep. So the hospital, though, has had a lot of changes over the years. So originally, like I said, the United Verde Hospital. The hospital was constructed in 1926, which replaced an old hospital that was built in 1917. So that land's been a hospital for a while. And a lot of people have a lot of uh, reservations about hospitals in general, right? That's also just like a very young building to replace, right? Yeah. Nine years. Just a a quick minute. (laughs) I guess when you think about like commercial property, that's like barely a life. Right, for sure. Yeah. And the replacement was needed after a fault shift happened due to blasting and it damaged the south wing of the original hospital. And so because we are not um, geologists, scientists, is that what that be right? <laughs> I think you said rock scientist, scientist just now, but yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, you have to add the word scientist. You got mad at me last time. Obviously. I didn't. Well, I mean, you didn't say the whateverologist, you know? Anywho, are you going to tell me about what a fault shift is? I mean, yeah, yeah. So it's a lateral movement of the rocks at a fault. Okay. In case you're like, I've heard the word fault. I know that it has something to do with earthquakes. Here's what it is. So a fault is, so you know how there are cracks all over the planet? Yeah. The name for those cracks is a fault. So it makes sense that the reason why, you know, that crack shifts, clearly that will cause damage to any structure. For sure. And like, I feel like a mining town too with like blasts and like crazy stuff happening all the time would like anger all of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) I don't know because I'm not a geologist scientist. Yeah. Yeah. But I would imagine that there's just different types of geographic concerns when you're doing those blasts in areas that are like more dry and rocky versus places like on the East Coast that aren't aren't quite so dry and rocky, right? Where, where it's like mountain towns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting note. Yeah. I was like, didn't even occur to me to think about like fault lines because we don't have, I, I mean, like we ha- I'm sure we have them, but I'm not aware of earthquakes happening over here often. Yeah. Yeah. In general, I feel like a lot of crazy things have happened in mining towns, you know, where they mine. And then also, like, the things that they're doing to the environment as they do so. Yeah. So everything was moved from the old hospital to the new one in January of 1927. And then that's when it officially opened. And because the old one, you know, got the damage, they just tore down the damaged wing. 
the placement of the hotel is on a mountain. And realistically, like the whole area of Jerome is on the mountain. So it's definitely a good workout when you walk around the area because everything is uneven. That's interesting. I'm sure that's also just like a weird vibe that everything's just kind of all cattywampus and like, I don't know. When I think of like most American towns where there would be a place where you would stay in a hotel, it's like Mm -hmm. things are relatively smooth-ish. Yeah, it's not like that. Like when you look at the pictures, I'm sure you've seen them. I have. It's like all up the mountain. You just see building after building and everything. It's just unsettling because like when you're walking, it doesn't look like anything should be able to stay where it is. And honestly, some of them haven't. Like you see there's some buildings that are falling down the mountain that you can't go in anymore. I don't like that at all. Yeah, it's unsettling, but it's a very interesting place. I definitely recommend it. So the hospital was 30,000 square feet, and it was considered to be the most modern hospital in Arizona and possibly the Western states. So it was a big deal. It had things like call lights, sun porches, balconies, ice making rooms, like various x-rays and just nice things. It had an Otis elevator. Now, whenever I go to any old place, I'm like, oh, is it an Otis? I feel like I know so much about elevators because of our hotels episodes. I also will tell you that if you haven't thought about how ice came to be in times when they're like, I want to say olden times, but like olden times, (laughs) it is kind of interesting, right? Because we're talking about 1926 or 1927, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm typing in 1927 ice because a lot of places like they didn't have ice. So what they would do is they would have these like massive blocks of ice that would be delivered and then they would chop them. And there was actually ice factories. Mm. I know this because there's a distillery in St. Augustine around where I used to live that it was in an old ice factory. So you could like learn about ice. But I was like, what an interesting bit of knowledge that I have now. Yeah, it's uh, something that I would have never really thought about. <laughs> no, but like when you're like ice room and I'm like, ice room, like woof, I can't even imagine how that would work in Arizona. Heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, back then it probably wasn't as hot. And it is up north. So it's like, for me at least, it's a little cooler, like the temperatures and it's a higher elevation, of course. Yeah. But it was also originally equipped with three boilers. And some of the original equipment is still used today, which I thought was really cool. Nice, nice. So here's a big deal. It was also constructed to be almost fireproof and be able to withstand blasting from the nearby mines. And essentially, it was like an above ground bomb shelter. The majority of it is made with poured concrete. And the only wood being used is for like doors, windows, built in cabinets, things like that. So that helped, you know, eliminate anything that could catch on fire. My guess is that when they built it, they didn't want to end up like Many of the other buildings that caught on fire over the years. One big one was the Montana Hotel, and they were destroyed in 1915 due to a fire. And that was even deemed the finest and most ornate. And the foundation for it is still in the town. That's interesting. Yeah. That you can, like, see the ruins of it, if you will. Yeah, and there's various ruins there, too. Like, just so odd. Well, I mean, I would also imagine that in a town where there are things that are happening that are causing structural damage, lots of buildings have been casualties over the years. And like digging up a foundation is a lot of work to do for something that you're just going to leave. Right. Yeah. So the Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation acquired and operated the hospital until it closed in 1950. And again, like this is a really short lifespan. It's not even 25 years. That's a very, very, very short thing. But yeah. 
It was fully maintained and furnished for around 20 years before Phelps Dodge knew it could never again be used as a hospital. And then in the 70s and 80s, that's when they finally removed the rest of the furnishings. But they wanted to keep the building safe from vandals. So they had a living caretaker who was hired to take care of the building. And then it was leased to a family. And can I just tell you what that makes me think of? What? It makes me think of The Shining. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Right? Like, it's not snowy. Oh, maybe it is snowy. I don't know. There's parts of Arizona that get snow. But, like, yeah, that's very much the vibe that I think of. It could snow there. Okay, so that could be the Stanley Hotel. But so in the 1980s, the last caretaker took their own life. And after their death, the building was boarded up and then it was just monitored by police and then some of the Phelps Dodge staff. Then, for liability reasons, Phelps Dodge ended up selling the property. Now, in December of 1993, Larry Altier made an offer and he took possession in the end of May of 1994. And he actually still owns the property today, which the longest owner, it seems like, right? I mean, with the the exception of Phelps Dodge, because they had it since the 50s. But, like, they weren't really operating it for a long time. Right. So in order to make the property, you know, a functioning hotel, Altier had a lot of work to do. And... When the hospital was built, okay, we're talking about 1926, right? Not a lot of cars. So they only had 12 parking spaces. So they made more parking spaces. They now have 70. But it took 1,000 dump truck loads to excavate that space. And that just seems like a lot of work. You don't think about stuff like that. At least I hadn't before I researched this place where it's like, oh, yeah, years ago, they didn't really drive. So why would this guy's giant truck fit anywhere near this hotel well i mean from things that i've been a part of i know of a few things about zoning and parking and that you need to have certain amounts of parking in order to like reclassify your building as a certain for for different use but Mm -hmm. it's interesting that he had to do this type of effort in order to get those spaces and what that tells me is that he bought the hotel for very cheap (laughs) (laughs) like they were like one dollar and it's yours so (laughs) In addition to fixing the parking, he also had to renovate the inside because it was a hospital, right? And so in July of 1996, the first six rooms were ready and the building was able to open again. And then the next year in 1997, he opened the Grandview Restaurant and Lounge, but he later began leasing the restaurant portion, which again makes sense. I feel like a lot of hotels do that because Mm -hmm. that's a lot easier than being a restaurateur and a hotelier. Yeah. But so in 2003, the Asylum restaurant opened and it's still open today. And when I hear Asylum, obviously, you, dear listener, are also probably thinking the same thing. You're probably thinking a mental health facility. But we couldn't find any history that this property ever served as a mental health facility. Yeah. And that's something, too, that when I went on my first ghost tour in Jerome, that was one of the biggest um, misconceptions of the place that our tour guide told us about is some people say this was a mental health facility and just that. And he's like, it wasn't just that. Like, I'm sure they had that. They had something there. It was a hospital. But like a lot of groups have tried to showcase it as a mental health facility. And that's why it was so haunted. And it's like, that's just a big misconception. I think that's also a very big trope when we talk about haunted places is I think that people try to give reasons for why a place is haunted, Mm -hmm. right? Because it could just be that it's haunted as hell for no reason, right? But when you have this like sinister or dark or mysterious kind of imagery that you can give, I think it does that. And I think that when we think of asylums, a lot of people have 
the second season of American Horror Story is what pops into their head. Even before that, I think that that was very prevalent imagery in just media generally. And horror movies. That like, you know, mental health facilities were dark and it was, you know, scarier than it necessarily had to be. And that like the people who worked there were also kind of monstrous, even though... You know, obviously that's not always the case. It certainly is sometimes. And we talked about it in our Stranger Things episode, but like Penhurst was a horrific place and an asylum. Yeah. So it's not that it doesn't exist. I just don't think that as often as folks are like, and this was an asylum, it actually ever was. Right. But it also is brilliant marketing if it's a spooky place to give it that kind of mystique, especially if those rumors are already around, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, the moment I hear hospital, I'm already like... People die in hospitals. People go there to die. So, like, there's going to be a lot going on. Look, I would rather be a dump ghost than a hospital ghost. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, I would not want to be, like, just haunting around hotel rooms. That would be really depressing. It would. Like, at least at the dump, I could be like, what are y'all throwing away? What kind (laughs) of trash do you have? You got a bunch of bottles? That's a lot of ice cream. No judge. Not judging. I'm just saying it's a lot of ice cream. Oh, it looks like you threw away all those greens that you bought last week. You didn't use those? And the week prior. And the week prior to that. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot Got a lot of old greens that don't look open and a lot of empty ice cream. And I that's me talking to myself, honestly. <laughs> Have you seen the video lately? The things I never thought I'd do as an adult. And it's someone like reaching for a bag of salad and then just walking it to the carpet. (laughs) I've seen things like that. And I'm like, I've seen also where people are like, ah, time for me to buy my weekly greens so I can throw them away. Because if I don't (laughs) buy them, I feel like garbage. (laughs) Look, I try. I try. I have really good intentions. And sometimes they go bad in like 36 minutes after getting home. though. Well, okay, in Arizona, that is probably true because I imagine all vegetation wilts there (laughs) because I've been there and it was all beige. The land of beige. But generally, when you open the package, if you put like a paper towel in there and you replace it daily, it will stay good. With the exception of alfalfa sprouts, which will become very disgusting very quickly. So you just have to eat them immediately. Also, as a side note, Moo is still recovering from her surgery. She got her sutures out today. She's doing great. But she is snoring behind me. So if you hear a faint but not ominous growl, then kind of sound, it's just a Moo snore. It's fine. We're all good. (laughs) I'm good. It's easy. It's breezy. Anywho, Amanda, why don't you tell me why it feels spooky there? (laughs) Just fucking everything about it is spooky, okay? So... The building was said to look, quote unquote, too spooky when Larry was converting it to a hotel. Hold on, wait, you mean that this building that was abandoned for years and not used as any physical structure and was boarded up looked weird, looked a little bit ominous, (laughs) looked a little bit spooky? (laughs) Yeah, but but not for the reason you're thinking. So... The reason that it looked too spooky was because when they were originally constructing the building, they applied the colored veneer stucco too soon. And then the lime leaked through, making the exterior look 100 years old when it was brand new. I feel like that this just structure and like the structure before it, it's just a comedy of errors. (laughs) Clearly, it was a bad place to build a hospital two times in a row. You know, fair, fair. But I want to take what they did here and construct a brand new home that already looks 100 years old. I'm learning through this. Oh, I see. I see. You're like telling your builder and then you're going to do this. And they're like, oh, that will do this other thing. And you're like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. I want a new home that looks haunted, but definitely isn't haunted. But I can still feel creepy in it. Yeah, you got it. You got it. 
tired. I got. I understand. <laughs> I understand. So its location also gives it kind of a creepy vibe, and it's because it's up on the mountain. And some say that it has like a Frankensteinish appearance with its windows facing the street. Okay. Okay. When you look up at it, think of like, I don't know, the cover for like House on Haunted Hill and things like that. Like it's like the spooky building on top of the mountain. It does. It does. It's also because like the way that it's situated on the mountain, you have to kind of be like looking up at it. Like you're not looking directly on it, right? Like it's not like level ground where you're looking straight at a building. You're looking up at it at every angle. Yeah. So the entire town generally just has a creepy vibe to it. And it might be because once the mining operations were closed down, it pretty much cleared out and it felt like an abandoned town. So it was like that until things like restaurants and hotels began their operations so that people would want to come back and visit. Also, this place is really cool. There's a place called the Haunted Hamburger across from Hill Street, fairly close to it. And it's great. I need you to know that I'm on their website now because I was like, well, I need to know more. I need to know, like, what are they selling? It doesn't seem like they have, like, haunted seeming names, but it sounds uh-huh. like I would eat their food. Like, it sounds like it would be literally what you think it is. But what I love is that the people who open the Haunted Hamburger now have the Haunted Group, which is like a restaurant group that owns <laughs> other <laughs> restaurants. But I like, I'm like, those are our people. <laughs> They are. And like, it's been a couple years since I've been there. But like, even on their website right now, their pictures, it's little ghosts across the top. And then they had skeletons all over the building. Yeah. I I don't remember seeing skeletons there, but it was a cute little place. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. So let's get to some more spooky stuff within the building. A total of 9,000 people are said to have died at the hospital alone. And it includes things like sickness, pain, you know, natural deaths in that sense. Also, many people died in mining accidents throughout the area and obviously in the hospital when they were taken there. So some of them are pretty brutal deaths that happened in the hospital. Here's my thing. This doesn't seem like a place that's like very, very populated. Is it? Is it a smaller town? It is a smaller town. Yeah, there's a couple small towns near it, too. So like I know when we go to visit my father-in-law, he lives fairly close to there. So like sometimes we'll go up to Jerome for lunch. Okay, so it's possible that these other small towns were also using the hospital when it was open because the hospital was only open for 33 years and 9,000 people dying in 33 years seems like a lot. And that's over 270 people a year. But mining, mining drove a lot of people into those towns, too. I agree. But how bad were these mines if over 270 people were dying? Yeah. And also, as of 2017-ish, so in the past five years, Jerome had 400 residents. At its peak, (laughs) it had 15,000 people. Yeah. 9,000 people dying in a place that has only ever housed 15,000 people is alarming. (laughs) It is. So we're going to get into our favorite part, the ghost stories. I don't know why I said it like that, but, you know, here we are. Spooky. (laughs) So before it was a hotel, during its tenure as a hospital, some of the patients and the staff reported hearing sounds and voices from the empty rooms. And there were also reports of a woman dressed in white, which any haunted place has to have (laughs) its token woman dressed in white. Like, Mm -hmm. are you even haunted if you don't have a woman in white? Absolutely not. (laughs) But she was seen in the hospital and she's still seen in the hotel. There were also reports of a bearded man who would walk down the hallway and he would turn lights on 
as he went. And I just love that because my husband says we're not running an electricity factory. And this goes to (laughs) the fuck we aren't. And he is just (laughs) like, fuck your energy bills. And I love that for him. Set Marge up with the bearded man. (gasps) Oh, but Marge, I mean, Marge had a husband. Yeah, but she travels now. And oh, I forgot. This is the year of Marge. I mean, she could. (laughs) Maybe she and the bearded man can go around turning on lights with the Blair Witch. That's their their friend. Yes. So earlier I had mentioned that there were only six rooms open when they had the grand opening. Yeah. So as soon as people started staying there, they began reporting hearing voices and sounds. And some people would report a sound that kind of sounded like a gurney in the halls. And then they would like kind of look out of their room, but there was nothing there. And I would imagine it would be like a, like a kind of like squeaking, wheeling sound. And then I would also just imagine like you would hear the echo of that in the hallways because hotel hallways are always so bare. So you kind of hear the echo of like luggage moving or, you know, room service carts. But a gurney is like a different vibe because it's like heavier. To bring it up again, I already mentioned House on Haunted Hill. Have you seen the remake of it? I think it's 1999, late 90s. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Oh, you know what? I have seen this. Well, the reason I bring it up is because any scary movie that includes like ghost doctors and nurses freaks me out. And I all I think of is that scene where they're looking and they don't really see anything. And then I think they look through a camera or something and they see the operating room. Oh, yeah. No. It's so unsettling to me. And I feel like that's what's happening in this hotel. I do like... Uh, a vibe when you are watching a thing and then you look at it through a piece of technology and you can see the ghosts. Mm -hmm. That makes me think of one of, I think, the best ghost movies that there is, 13 Ghosts. Oh, well, yeah. Like one of the best, right? Like we love Matthew Lillard generally, but also just like it was so well done. Like I feel like you can watch it today and it still stands up. It does. Like the, the tech, you're like, yeah. And just like the characters from it are so recognizable, like the different ghosts that there are. Uh huh. Just 10 out of 10. I've seen online petitions to get them to do a series, like with the backstories of the ghosts. Oh my gosh. Uh, where can I sign up? <laughs> I have to find it again. It's been a while. 13 ghost series petition. (gasps) There's barely any signatures. I think that people need to know more about this. (laughs) Well, we're telling them. We're telling them what they want. Anywho. Okay, so getting back to this. So in 2016, Chris Altier, Larry's nephew, he was interviewed as the general manager. Love that they're keeping it in their family. He said that at that time, each year, they would fill a 300-page journal with visitor accounts of their experiences. And that's wild to me. Like, that's an intense thing. Also, Christopher, it's 2016. Type it up, my guy. Have people (laughs) put it someplace digitally. You're going to understand why in a minute. So at the time of the interview, they already had four to five journals filled with stories. So like 1,500 pages of stories. Yeah. Amazing. So he also discussed that the third floor seemed to be the hot spot, if you will. And that is where the OR operating room used to be. And that's where most of the deaths occurred. And Amanda mentioned this, right? So this was a mining town. These were probably gruesome accidents. So like these were people who were in significant pain. Yeah. So I could see why you would have energy there, right? And also people would hear the hospital gurney as it moved around even after they installed the carpet. And they also, they normally heard it around 3 a.m. So creepy. I hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I love it. And I want to go stay there. So one thing you mentioned right now is 3 a.m. And we've talked about why 3 a.m. is such a special time in hauntings back from our ghost episode, which was forever ago. As a recap, the reason is in 1835, there's something called the witching hour. And that's when it was first recorded. And it seems to originate from a period of time in like 1535, when the Catholic Church forbade activities during the 3 to 4 a.m. hour due to rising concerns about witchcraft in Europe. Love it. Which we just talked about. We did. We talked a lot about witches. We did. So things like witch hunts, demonic activity, exorcisms, and rituals have all become intertwined with the witching hour as just about any clock in like a horror movie would tell you, right? Like every ghost movie you see, it's like 3.01 a.m. and then weird shit starts happening. Yeah. Do you ever like look at the clock? I don't know if you're ever up at 3 a.m. I'm always up. So I'll be like, it's 3 a.m. Oh, no, this is the time. I always have to pee in the middle of the night. And yes, you can bet your bippy that I'm always like, what time is it? It's normally around four for me. So you might be out of the witching hour. Yeah. My sweet little Kimber loves to go potty at 3 a.m. I don't know how you hear her whisper bark from your bedroom. She is screaming. <laughs> when I tell you, it's like, oh, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> I talked about it in our last episode, but it's very quiet. You need to record her. I will. I will. It's ridiculous. And don't you turn it up. You keep it nice and <laughs> nice and quiet, just like it is a whisper bark. <laughs> so there is a debate, though, what the witching hour really is. So some believe that the witching hour is a time of night when the veil between life and death is the thinnest, and it allows for spirits and ghosts to travel between the two worlds. Others believe that witches and psychics and things like that are more powerful at that time of night. Ooh. <laughs> and some aren't really sure what the witching hour is, but they know nothing good happens at 3 a.m. The number three also is often a mockery of the Holy Trinity, making it the perfect time to carry out acts of evil. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. But realistically, for most people, 3 a.m. is when their body goes into REM, the deepest sleep possible. So it slows your heart rate down, it drops your body temperature, and generally dulls as many functions as possible so that you can truly get like a deep rest. And if you wake suddenly in the middle of REM, you tend to feel pretty odd. So it could be that, but I like the spooky part more. Always, always. So people also report a ghost cat and it jumps on their bed and walks around their room. <laughs> I love this. I do too. And I was talking to a family member earlier too because I see ghosts, but I've all throughout my life, I've seen ghost animals. And typically it's like the way that I see them is like kind of like out of the corner of my eye, but vividly, right? It's not like generally right in front of me. It's how I see animals normally, right? Because my cats are living their lives. Typically it's like jumping onto things and stuff. And so just love that we're talking about a ghost cat. People also see the ghost of a young boy. And then room 32 also gets a lot of activity. And this was actually a hospital guest room that had a balcony. And it was the site of two possible suicides. One was a former miner who climbed over the balcony. And then there was also a businessman who had shot himself. And these two instances happened within six weeks of each other. It reminds me of the Cecil. Yes. I would imagine if you were staying in a guest room in a hospital... You're likely not there for good reasons, mm -hmm. right? Like there's you're like dealing with someone who you love being very, very sick. And so I think that's just very sad. Yeah. 
Also, people report that the door opens by itself and the faucets turn on and off by themselves. There was even one comment on a video that we had watched as part of our research. We saw there was a comment that was posted by 12 News that a person that stayed in room 32 felt like they were being choked in the middle of the night. Don't like that. And another comment said that they heard the door open and closed and felt like they were being, quote unquote, tugged from behind. I don't like that at all. Also, if you're saying like tugged from behind, I don't know why, but the image that I get is um the copper tone girl <laughs> with like the bathing suit. But it makes me think of being tugged down, like maybe like a little kid pulling your shirt or something. Oh, maybe. When I hear just tugged from behind, I feel like if I was talking about someone grabbing me, I would say grabbed. That's true. Tugged feels like I was just kind of like gently pulled. But anyway, people have also reported that they heard sounds that sounded like a gunshot around 2 a.m., And this was actually the only account that we could find of anyone hearing a gunshot. And that person who had left that comment said that they checked out early. And I think I would have too. Yeah, fair. One story that really got me is Chris once received a phone call from an unoccupied room, which was room 41 on the top floor. Oh, I don't like it. Mm -mm, That's unsettling. That would freak me the hell out. Yeah. And he said that he heard a lady say something. But he couldn't make out quite what she had said. She was speaking really fast and she sounded like she was in trouble. And then the phone cut out. So, of course, he immediately called back and no one answered. So he's like, "Okay, I'm going to run up to the room. So he goes up to the room and no one was there. When he got back to his chair downstairs, the phone rang again from that same room. And then when he picked up the phone, he only heard raspy breathing. On the other side. Oh, no. Is it worse to have heavy breathing that sounds like an obscene caller or raspy, do you think? I think just breathing in general, like on the phone, never means good. Also, we could just, I don't know why I breathe into the microphone. We could absolutely just take the breaths (laughs) that are already here. Copy and paste those bad boys in. (laughs) I'm leaving it. So two psychics that have visited have also said that they felt that the head nurse was still around and that she was pretty upset that the desks were removed. She's like, you are making this a very difficult work environment. I mean, yeah, they are. So they were in the restaurant lounge area and it used to be the dispensary, like main entrance of the hospital to show you where everything is from before and nowadays. And the desks that this head nurse is looking for were in the storage area. So when the owner decided to lease out the restaurant, the new tenant was like poking around and found a couple cabinets stored in the back. And he asked what was in them and if he could use them inside the restaurant area. They ended up being the original dispensary counter desks and are now located a few feet away from where they used to be placed. So I hope the head nurse is happy. Interesting. And since they moved the desks where they should be, the nurse's presence has not been felt again. Hmm. She just wanted her damn desks back. The last thing I'm going to give a shit about when I die is my work desk. But I mean, live your truth, baby girl. (laughs) She's still working, apparently. Oh, my gosh. Give it up. They aren't paying you. (laughs) Okay. So remember earlier, we talked about the caretaker who had killed himself. And this had happened in the boiler room. So people think that that room is haunted by him. So additionally, in 1935, Claude Harvey was found in the basement and had been crushed by the elevator. He had been called down to do some work on that elevator and it had gotten stuck. And he was underneath of it, fixing it when it came down on his face and neck. Horror story bait, right? Like, this is just terrible. Yeah. And he wasn't found for another 40 minutes. 
It was ruled an accident, but it was later determined that it wasn't the elevator that killed him and that he may have been murdered because when they looked at the elevator, it was working just fine. And there are several sides of this, and some included that someone murdered him and then had the elevator come down. And I mean, that would be smart because you wouldn't see if they was bludgeoned or something like that. And then some think that he may have even jumped down into the elevator shaft and his body was then crushed afterwards, but he had already died. And then people claim that he still rides the elevator and walks the halls. And I'm just going to say it. Look, I will not be haunting my place of employment. No. Mm-mm. It's just not going to happen. Like, I am paid to be there. I am there for what I am there to get my work done. I work remotely, (laughs) but my office hours, if you will. But even when I worked in like an office office, I wasn't going to be like, and now this is my eternal resting place. (laughs) That makes me very sad. Again, we talked about it in another episode. Look, sometimes you just need to like work on your ghost things. You need to get over it and you need to leave your workplace. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So in 2011, Ghost Adventures, our favorite, did an episode on the hotel. (laughs) And we also saw Zach Baggins do a paranormal challenge there with two different paranormal investigator teams. The paranormal challenge at least had Chris in it to give the real history and discuss some of the things that happened, which, okay, so long as there's some history, we've talked before how sometimes we think Ghost Adventures is disrespectful. We say sometimes, I mean, all the times, do you want to hear me? angry about Zach Baggins, like really angry, (laughs) go back and listen to our Dybbuk Box episodes. And you can't not agree that he's disrespectful after you listen to that. Anywho. Yeah, even Velisca. Even even Velisca. Even Velisca. But I also just need everyone to go listen to our Dybbuk Box episodes because I feel like I was so fascinated by all of the lore behind it. And I found it very interesting and not something that's out there a lot. And... As we approach spooky season and people are looking at spooky tropes and things like that, understanding the cultural significance behind something, I think, is very important. Mm -hmm. But anywho, some guests also report various smells around the hotel. And you know that I love that from our Black Forest (laughs) episode. But people smell flowers, cigar smoke and whiskey. And I think that's very interesting. I love that everything's always a cigar, right? Like every haunted place, someone smells cigars. But that's also such a recognizable smell. Yeah. I feel like when you're thinking of smells that will no longer be in most places, a cigar is one that's at the top of the list because you can't smoke inside in a lot of places now. Right. So if you smell that and you don't see one around you, you're like, oh, a spooky ghost. And not this was a room (laughs) where a lot of people smoke cigars for years and years and years. Yeah. Fair. So some sad news. The owner really isn't into hauntings or ghost stories, but says if there are spirits, they must be a lot happier occupying a hotel instead of a hospital. And quote, they're dealing with a clientele that are here by choice and not necessity. Nice, nice. Fair. But I'm like, oh, I love when like hotel owners lean in to the hauntings and let you do things like the books and ghost tours and things like that. Because I tried to reach out for employee stories, so I contacted the hotel, but their general manager responded that the owner prefers that they not promote or market the property in the haunted fashion, even though they believe it to be that. So like, they confirmed that they believe that it's haunted, but they can't talk about it. I get it, but I don't like it. Exactly, exactly. Also, I'm guessing Chris is no longer the GM, and maybe 
he was the one that was making it like ghost friendly, ghost story friendly when he was there. Because ever since I can't find much on him anymore, that's when I see kind of that changeover. At least that's my guess. That's fair. I mean, I could see that it is a very unique clientele who are wanting the hotel to be spooky. Mm -hmm. And then it is very easy to displease people who want a haunted hotel because you can't make ghosts perform. So unless you're going to do something like they did with the Queen Mary, where you make like one of the rooms like fake spooky and then it becomes real spooky, you know, I think that would be difficult. Yeah, I mean... I see both sides because it is a very small place. I feel like it makes people want to travel there. Like, I have no business staying there very much. Like, it's it's a little bit away, I guess. But, like, I want to stay in the hotel so that I can explore it more. That's fair. I also saw that they discontinued the private tours. So now the only way for you to explore it is to stay there. I went on a ghost tour years ago, and I absolutely loved it. I just haven't had the opportunity to stay quite yet. And I think I brought it up in a previous episode, but this is where we met the tour guide that we ended up talking them into taking us to the mines late at night. And uh, pro tip, do not go into the mines late at night. You know, I feel like that feels like a given. And I feel like you could have stopped your sentence at don't go in the mines. (laughs) I wanted to see them. (laughs) I wanted to see them at night with a stranger. Yeah, yeah. Do you see how maybe this wasn't the best? Like now looking at it. Clearly. That that hindsight just crystal clear. <laughs> well, I mean, we had a little group. It was for my birthday that we went. And your death day. And we had a couple <laughs> drinks after the tour. And the tour guide was at the bar. So we were like talking to him. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to see the mines. And he's like, you want to go now? You bet your bippy I do. And I'm like, absolutely. So there's us walking down the damn mountain late at night. I want to say it was like around closing time, but, you know, it's been years. And... We're walking down this mountain, like, in inappropriate shoes, to be honest. And then we find the mine late at night. We're like, yes, we get to go in. And we went in, and there's a lot of bugs. A lot of bugs. Yeah. You went into a nature crevice. Of course there's lots of bugs. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like it. I'd rather ghost more than bugs. I mean, what about ghost bugs? No. I draw the line. I draw the fucking line at a ghost bug. God damn it. (laughs) Well... If you want to go exploring in this hotel, it's, again, the Jerome Grand Hotel, and you could stay there for about 200 to 600 a night, depending on the type of room. So it is still open, operational. It is a site, and you can go get a burger at the Haunted Hamburger. That's true. Or some wings. I don't know why, but... Or some wings. They had them on the menu, and I was like, no, well, now I want wings. (laughs) So let's talk about another haunted hotel in Jerome. And that would be the Connor Hotel that was built in 1898 by David Connor. And originally it was designed with 200 rooms upstairs and it had a bar, card rooms, and then billiard tables on the first floor. And again, like 200 rooms feels like a lot for a really small place. But I guess if you have people coming to see the mines and other things like that, it would make sense that you would need a place for them to stay. But the hotel has burned to the ground, not just once, but twice. And the owner was one of two business owners that had insurance at that time and was able to rebuild and renovate each time. And like, burn my hotel down once. Shame on you. Burn my hotel down twice. Don't build another hotel there. You know, like, I feel like that's the lesson that could have been learned. But anywho, 
It wasn't. So people have been creeped out in various places throughout the building, including some of the rooms and the bar. And the rooms with the most like spooky ghost activity are rooms one and two. But most of the rooms do have reports. So that's interesting because when we were talking about the Jerome Grand Hotel, there were rooms here and there and places here and there. And there was room 32. But here it's like most of the rooms, but especially one and two. But so radios will randomly turn on even if they're not plugged in. I don't like that. Oh, no. Figures are seen just at various times. So it's not like it's, you know, your witching hour person or whatever. But some people hear whispering and laughing. I don't know which I dislike more. I hate them both. I hate them both for different reasons. Equally. Equally. I mean, whispering makes me feel like in my bones unsettled and laughing would just make me worried about what was about to happen. Yeah. But there's also been drops in temperature. In room four, some have reported hearing a dog growling behind the door. Maybe there was a dog that was recovering from surgery that was just snoring very loudly. Poor Moo. (laughs) Moo. A housekeeper was once cleaning room one and they had a strange experience. Their name was Nicole. And she had gathered linens and she was taking them down the hall when she saw a woman in a red dress, not a white dress. And Nicole recalls it being a beautiful dress. And she smiled at the woman as she passed. And she noticed that the woman had a a pretty large scar underneath her right eye. And when she looked back to get another view of that dress, the woman was gone. And where they were, it wasn't possible that she could have gotten away that quickly. Like, there wasn't a door she could have gone through or an exit. Yeah, yeah. And there's been other run-ins with the same woman with the scar. So a woman named Renee was having a drink at the bar. And so she's sitting there and then she notices a woman looking at her. And she had brown hair and, quote unquote, something wrong with her right eye. So the scar. She was also wearing a red dress. She recalls thinking that maybe the woman had been punched in the face or something like that. Oh, wow. So she just tried to ignore it, but she could like feel her staring at her. So it was starting to bother her. After a few minutes, she decided that, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm going to approach her, see what her deal is. When she went to do so, though, the woman was gone. She asked the bartender about her. And what he responded was, no one has been sitting in that seat all night. Oh, I don't like that. Ugh, chills, right? And just a note. Room one, so what Lindsay just said that Nicole was cleaning, is directly above the bar area. Hmm. Right? Hmm. I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Ugh, I don't think I like it. Chills. I don't think I like it at all. So let's talk a little about a true crime story that took place at the hotel. And it may explain this woman in the red dress. So Anna Hopkins believed that her husband, Clarence, was in an extramarital relationship with a school teacher. And it's interesting, too, because she didn't just think that he was having an affair. She thought that this woman was kind of a pawn for other men who were trying to discredit or, you know, make her husband look bad. And from what we understand, a man named Tom, as well as Clarence, and then two school teachers named Lucille Gallagher and Lillian Bear went to dinner and a play when they were in Washington, D.C. And they were all from Jerome, but they were there for various reasons. Clarence had told his wife, Anna, a few months later after returning home, and she declared it an act of impropriety. And she was already a pretty jealous person, and she didn't like any time he interacted with another woman. Yeah. 
And she was upset. And she told the school board of trustees that Miss Gallagher and Mrs. Bear were morally unfit to teach. And her proof was the fact that they had socialized with Clarence and Tom in D.C. This feels like a very intense reaction. Yes. So the board did not remove either teacher from their staff. Makes sense. So a couple weeks later, Anna attacks Lillian at school and Anna's arrested, but then she's released after the charges are dropped. So Anna's still pretty pissed and she told people that she had accidentally attacked the wrong girl and that her real target was Lucille Gallagher. Crazy. It's intense. So on March 5th of 1920, Clarence announced that he would be resigning from his work, which would be effective on April 1st of 1920, because he and his wife were relocating to Los Angeles. Yes. And there's a lot around it, too. From what Lindsay said, like, Anna, she thought that one of the teachers was, like, a suspected pawn being used by people to, like, discredit her husband. And that kind of fell into what was going on at the time, too. So, yeah, they start their relocation to Los Angeles. However, in February or March, Anna came back to Jerome and booked a room at the Connor Hotel. She told friends, Many different reasons for her visit, including buying property and that she had a long-standing grievance with Miss Gallagher. Clearly. Clearly. So on March 31st, 1922, Anna went into the dining room at breakfast time and she saw Lucille and her friend having breakfast, which happened often during her stay. So it's not like it's the first time she saw her. She had seen her many times while she was staying at the hotel. Anna walked by several times and then she went into a back room. When she came back into the dining room, Anna threw carbolic acid into Lucille's face after grabbing her by her hair. Jesus. And she grabbed her with her bare right hand and she rubbed the acid into Lucille's eyes. Anna, calm the fuck down. No man is worth this. No. So several people around, you know, ran to help Lucille and they pulled Anna off of her. Yeah. And Anna, of course, was later arrested while packing in her room. She also had a gun and ammo with her. Jesus. Put it out there. Woof. Yeah. So they drove her out of town to the Prescott Jail. While on the way, she said, quote, it was not full strength acid. Since the war, Anna, (laughs) since the war, the manufacturers had not been making the old kind, but a diluted solution. Anna, say less. Say less. Like, yes. I also, I don't love, but I am intrigued by the fact that she knew that it wasn't full strength carbolic acid yeah. that she threw into Anna's fucking eyes. And interestingly enough, I was looking it up because I'm like, tell me about this acid. And there were some places that said it wasn't as strong at this time as it had used to be. So like she wasn't wrong, but still you don't throw acid at people no matter the dilution. Look, acid is acid and you don't put it in people's eyes. <laughs> yes. Like, there. I don't even care if it's citric acid. Like, don't put it in anybody's fucking eyes. Right, right. So she also showed where the acid had hit her clothes and pointed out that it didn't eat through the fabric, which she thought would be evidence that she didn't intend to cause great harm on Lucille. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. However, the flesh on her right forearm, two fingers, right hand, cheek and spots on her forehead had some pretty intense marks because remember she grabbed her with her right hand so some of the acid kind of bounced around all over those areas and she had marks yeah yeah ultimately and fortunately anna was found guilty at her trial and she was sentenced to five to 14 years at the state prison in florence and she was at that time the 
only female inmate. And when asked if she had anything to say during the sentencing, she said, I have done no wrong. I am innocent. Ugh. That's a certainly different vibe then. But the acid wasn't even that strong. Like, right? Ugh. So eventually she was granted parole with the understanding that she leave the state and not return until the maximum term of her sentence had passed, which to me is really interesting because normally when you have parole, you can't leave the state. But they're like, right. get the fuck out. Yes. So luckily, Lucille survived the attack, but she did have secondary burns to her eyes, her face, her neck and her chest. And they thought that she was actually going to lose sight in her right eye. And a specialist was brought in from Phoenix to help her, but she still had permanent scarring to her face. And... What a time. So I think that's like an interesting idea that perhaps it's Lucille's ghost that is haunting the hotel. I guess for me, if I'm haunting someplace, it has to be a place I'd want to be. But that's not really how ghosts work, is it? It's typically where there's like pain or like a bad thing happened to you. Because I don't know if it's a ghost, is it residual energy from like a dark occurrence? I don't know. Right. I've seen various, you know, reasons why a ghost would come back. But I've also seen some that just explore the option of it just being an intense feeling happened there, whether it be good or bad. Mm, It could be like the best day of their life happened there. Or it could be the worst day, which in this case, that's what that is. But I've also seen, like you said, just energy stays. And so perhaps it's just the energy from that day. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I did see in some places, a lot of people thought that she died due to the attack. But once I was able to find like, oh, they brought in specialists and things like that, I did see more that she lived. Well, that's good. That's good. I think that's partly why people thought, oh, she's the one for sure she's haunting it because she died there, but she didn't. That makes sense. Well, if you too would like to stay at the Connor Hotel, it's only $125 to $185, a much smaller range than the Jerome Grand Hotel. Yeah, they both look like really cool places to go. I've actually never been to the Connor, but of course, um, our tour guide did take us up to the Jerome Grand Hotel, which is like a site I would highly recommend if you're in the area, especially during spooky time. Spooky season. And during the winter and everything, too, it's it's okay to be in Arizona during those times. It's okay. But not anyone, any other safe. time. It's safe. <laughs> it's safe. It's safe. It's getting safe. It's not safe where I am yet. Give it a couple months. Give it a couple months. But up north, you're fine. So let us know if you've gone to either of these hotels or plan on going to any of these hotels. And we do have a couple more things to quickly discuss with you. Some exciting things. Currently, we are running a pretty cool contest. Yes. So if you haven't already please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and send us a screenshot on our website, truecreeps.com slash contests. You can enter to win a curated spooky basket. Valued at over $100. (laughs) So we're picking some of our favorite things that we've seen the spooky shopping season, which has started forever ago already. Yes. And giving you a prize. Now, If you've already left us a review, you're not left out. If you've already left one, get one of your friends, family members, share True Creeps with them and have them leave a review. And if they do and they name drop you when they do the form, you will get an entry as well as them getting their entry. And also you can get infinite entries that way. You sure can. You you sure can. (laughs) I want this box, so. Are you going to have people name drop you? (laughs) I think that you should be barred from entering. You know what? That wasn't in the terms and conditions. (laughs) Have I been buying some of the things that we're putting in the box? Yes, I have. 
because I too want them. <laughs> one for me, one for the box. Yes. Yes. And also, if you don't follow us on social media already, we're going to be sharing like little teasers of what will be in the box all October long. Yeah. So follow along with us. Yeah. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. No, I draw the line. I draw the fucking line at a ghost bug. God damn it. Look, I would rather be a dumb ghost than a hospital ghost. Oh, for sure. So, don't mind my squeaky ass chair. This could be the gurney sound. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. Burn me down once. Shame on you. Burn me down twice. Don't build a house. Don't (laughs) burn my hotel. (laughs) Burn my. Okay, <laughs> burn my hotel down once. Shame on you. Burn my hotel down twice. Don't build another hotel there. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Ooh. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) 